What a great uh, day to be together, and I'm just so thankful for the godly men in this church. We are blessed with godly men that love the Lord, that lead well, love well, honor God well, and I'm so thankful for you guys today. Um, and in my office at the home, I have two hats that hang on the wall, and these hats are actually belong to Liz's grandfather and my grandfather. This is Liz's grandfather's hat. Uh, he was a, uh, a big man, actually. He had big hands, broad shoulders. He was, if you think about a man's man, this was the guy. I mean, he, I actually have a picture of him on a horse with a bear skin draped over the, draped over the back that he just shot. And uh, every time I look at that, he, he looks at me, he says, I shot a bear, what have you shot? You know? <laughs> That's this guy. I mean, he, he had multiple businesses. He was uh, strong, physically strong, could be very intimidating at times, but yet had a real heart of generosity. Uh, I think about him when I look at this hat. And then, of course, this hat is my grandfather's hat. He grew up kind of east of Dallas. He was a hardworking guy, very quiet, didn't really say very much, but he was a farmer and he was a carpenter. He literally built a house from the ground up, poured the foundation, built the whole, I mean, that's, that's, that's manly, right? If you can build your own house, that says something. And this, that's who he was. He had five kiddos that worked out in the fields with him, worked until the very day he died. He worked all day, sat in his chair, had a heart attack, and went home to be with the Lord. Um, and so when I think about these hats, I think about the men in my family tree. These are the men that kind of informed me as a young age, what does it mean to be a man? Now, what do you think of when you think about the men in your family tree? Who's informing you about manhood? And what does it mean to be a man? As you think about that, there may be some in your family that you think, man, these are, these are straight up, good, solid, godly men, right? And you're praising God for them today. Maybe there are others that were not so great, that did more harm than good. But here's what I want you to understand, especially if you're a father today, that you cannot rewrite your family history, but you can start a new chapter. And you can write a chapter today that impacts those that come behind you. You know, we live in a day of great confusion. We live in a day of a generation coming up behind us that's very confused about the foundational things of life. A culture that's trying to rewrite things, definitions of things, like what is a family? What is a woman? What is a man? What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is bad? What is moral? What is immoral? How do relationships work? And the only way that you can navigate through all that confusion and fog is to get back to what God has said. God's word is our anchor. God's word defines these things for us. And that's why back on Mother's Day, we started a series called I Choose Us to help us, again, recalibrate our understanding of what godly relationships look like. And what we started on Mother's Day, we're wrapping up on Father's Day. And we've been looking at this one verse out of Galatians 5, so we're going to put it up on the screen here for a moment. I'm just going to pick out one word to talk about out of this list. But I want us to read this out loud together. And by the way, almost every week we've, I've been making 
making you read it out loud, right? But the reason why I do that is because we need to hear the word of God spoken as a people, as a community. We need to speak out the word of truth, not just hear it, but speak it out together. And so there's something powerful about us saying the words of God together. Amen? All right, so let's uh, say it. This is my last time to do it, all right? So you got uh, one more in you, all right? Here we go. Let's read it out loud together, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and self-control. That's right. Now, I want you to circle the word faithfulness there. Because that's what I want to talk about today. It's Father's Day. And what I want to show you is the link between faithfulness and manhood. If you're a man in the house today, man, I want you leaning up, leaning in, listening. Uh, this, by the way, you know, the, the old adage is when you know, on Mother's Day, the preacher talks about how wonderful mothers are. And on Father's Day, he just beats up all the guys, all right? That, that's not what today is about. Today is about us rallying together. This is what it means to be a man in our home, in our life. So this is more of a battle cry than anything else, all right? So that we rally each other to be, all right? So if you're a man, listen up. If you're becoming a man, you're a young man, you need to really pay attention to this. And of course, if you're not a man, then you pray for the men in your life that we will be all that God uh, wants us to be. So what is a man? Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 makes a very simple statement. Act like men. Act like men. And that really begs the question, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to be a man? And so when you you think kind of stereotypically about a man, you think, well, a man is strong. A man's got a lot of muscles, right? I mean, something kind of like this picture here might conjure up your thought. Now, that's a man, right? People get me confused with him all the time, (laughs) I think if without the goatee, it'd be a dead ringer. Anyway, that's, that's what I think of when I, uh, when I look in the mirror. Anyway, <laughs> what is a man, right? Obviously, people think of a man, they think about a guy who does manly things, right? He hunts and fishes, you know? He, uh, he, he works with his hands. He can make stuff. He can build stuff. He's athletic. He loves sports. He's tough. He can fight. I mean, just, just all that kind of stuff is kind of our stereotypical view of manhood and masculinity. But yet we know that not all men are like that. Not all men have big muscles, right? Not all men can build stuff. Not all men are that way. We have, there are men that are outdoorsy and there are men that are indoorsy, right? There are men that are doers and there are men that are thinkers. There are, there are men that uh, are athletic and there are men that are artistic, there, there are all different kinds of men. There are men that are emotionless and there are men that are emotional. So you can't just go to these stereotypical kind of caricatures of a man to find the definition. What we have to do is go to God's word. What does the Bible say a man really is? And that's why I want you to turn and get your Bible out and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to land today. We're going to look at what does it mean to be a man. 
Genesis chapter 2, Genesis is the book of beginnings. We see the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2. You see the formation of the first man, the creation of the first man in Genesis 2. Uh, God created him from the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into him. I want you to look at Genesis 2 verse 15. And we're going to kind of begin there. Genesis 2 15. This is the word of God. Amen. And the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. Now, the Hebrew word here, shamar, means to keep, to watch over, to preserve. God created man to protect something, to guard something, to watch over something, to cultivate something, to preserve something. God gave a responsibility to Adam, and he expected Adam to be faithful to accomplish it. That's the first thing we learn about a man, one who is given a responsibility and a call to be faithful to it. If you were to get in a time capsule and go all the way back and could have a conversation with Adam and say, who are you exactly? He would say, I'm the keeper of the garden. That's who I am. That's my identity. I am the keeper of the garden. Listen, uh, God has put men in gardens. God has put men in the garden of their home. God has put men in the garden of their workplace. God has put men in the garden of the church. God's put men in the garden of our community as guardians, watchers, protectors, keepers, God's given men the responsibility to do so, and men are called to be faithful to do it. In fact, I think the, the Marine Corps got it right. The motto, Semper Fidelis, means always faithful. And that's what a man is, one who is always faithful, always to do what God has called him to do. That is the very core of what it means to be a man. And that's why this idea of an unfaithful man is an oxymoron. It's like jumbo shrimp <laughs> or working vacation, right? Or military, t- I don't know, I, won't, I wouldn't get to go over there, but I, I thought I'd go ahead. Uh, you know, that kind of thing, Why, what does that mean? Because what that means is meant to be faithful is what it means to be a man. And, and, if you're, and if you're not faithful, then you're really not, I mean, you may be male, but you're not really being the man that God created you to be. Faithfulness is at the core of manhood and masculinity. And by the way, if you're raising up sons, what well, you need to teach them First and foremost is to be respond, to receive responsibility and to be faithful. That's at the core of maturity and manhood. Adam was placed in the garden as a keeper watcher and he was called to be faithful. Unfortunately, we have men that are in grown bodies, but they're not really living out as men. 
I think of 1 Corinthians 13, 11. It says, when I was um, a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things. You know, I, put, I put aside these other things, and I stepped into responsibility, and I became faithful to do what God has called me to do. That is the essence of masculinity. That's the essence of manhood, uh, to be faithful to watch over your garden, to be a guardian. So what does that look like exactly? I'm so glad you asked, all right? I'm going to unpack that a little bit. I'm going to give you four things that a man is to be faithful in, all right? And again, guys, man, this is just our battle cry. This is stuff we, we, uh, we challenge each other with. We celebrate each other when we do it because this is what God's called us to do. Four things in which men are to be faithful. Number one, uh, jot this down, faithful to God. First and foremost, a man is to be faithful to God. Look at Genesis 2, verse 16, the very next verse. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. So the very first place where a man is to be faithful, well, I guess where manhood begins is in faithfulness to God, to acknowledge God to revere God, to fear God, uh, to revere, to worship God, to acknowledge God's sovereignty and God's authority in his life. And I want you to notice a couple of things here that are really important. I'm just going to point them out very quickly. Number one, uh, Adam saw, understood God's authority. God commanded him. God wasn't getting, giving suggestions, all right? He was commanding Adam. He understood that God had authority. Then we see in this verse that Adam had freedom. He said, you're free to eat wherever you want. There's a lot of freedom over here. And Adam, a lot of ways you can choose. You have freedom he understood he had freedom, but he also understood, number three, that God had boundaries. You're not to do this. You are to do this. God had boundaries that he had set. And ultimately, he understood, Adam understood that he was accountable to God. If you eat this fruit, you will certainly die. There's accountability with him. God's authority, man's freedom, God's boundaries, and man's accountability before God. That is foundational to a biblical worldview and a biblical understanding of manhood. I remember Stephen uh, Covey in his book, Trust and Inspire, told a story about when he was, his dad was trying to teach him this as a young boy. Uh, at the beginning of the summer, he asked his sons who wanted to volunteer to take care of the yard for the summer. And of course, Stephen raised his hand. He was 10 years old, raised his hand. I'll, I'll do that. And dad said, great, fantastic. He said, come on outside. So he said, son, here's what I need from you. I need you to keep the grass clean and green. Can you say that with me? Clean and green. The little boy says, clean and green. That's exactly right. He said, come with me. And he walked over to the neighbor's yard. And the neighbor's yard was like manicured and gorgeous and green. He said, son, see that? That's what green looks like. <laughs> it's green. It looks, see what that looks like? Yeah, see ours? Okay, we want ours to look like that. That's what green looks like. What do we want? Clean and green, that's right. He said, now come over to our yard. See all, this, all the leaves and the limbs and the debris around here? Let's clean up the yard. So they start working in the yard, they clean half the yard. And then he stood back and said, now son, this part is clean and this part is dirty. Do you see the difference between the two? Yes, sir, I do. He said, now I want the yard to be clean. 
all right, just like this, and green, right? What do I want? Clean and green. That's right, clean and green. He said, now, son, you can do this any way you want. You can water the yard. You can pour water on it. You can use a water hose. You can spit on the yard. I don't really care how you do it. You can clean up the yard once a week, once a day, twice a day. I don't really care how you do it. All I care about at the end of the day is that it's clean and green. He said, you understand? Yes, sir, I got it. And so a couple of weeks go by and the little boy completely forgot about it. Stephen said, I totally forgot about it. And so one day dad pulls into the driveway and Stephen's over there with his buddies playing football across the street and the yard is turning brown and there's leaves and limbs all over the place. And so dad went over to Stephen. He said, hey, Stephen, come here for a second. He walked over. Yeah, dad. He said, hey, uh, how's the yard coming? And he said, instantly his eyes dropped and he kind of started to whimper and he goes, I just don't, I don't know how to do it. I just so overwhelmed. I, I, I didn't know where to begin. And, and he started making all these excuses. And he said, on that day, I learned what accountability and responsibility looks like. He said, my dad put his hand on my shoulder and he said, okay, son, I tell you what, let's work on this together. And so they pulled out the water hose and they started watering the yard and they started cleaning the yard up together. He said, son, I'm here to help you. And he said, over the course of that summer, I kept that grass clean and I got it green. And he said, I learned that I had lots of freedom, but I had accountability too. I had to be responsible. Now listen, that's exactly what Genesis 2, 16 and 17 is about. Adam, you got all this freedom. But there are boundaries and you're accountable to God and there's an authority that you are to live under. Hey man, this is where masculinity begins. You are accountable to God. You give an account to God for your life and how you've led your home. And he has set boundaries for us and he's given us lots of freedom on how we are to do it. But we are accountable to God. This is where uh, biblical masculinity and manhood begins. This is why King David said in Psalm 119, I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. So the first responsibility is to be faithful to God. Faithful to God. The second responsibility is to be faithful in marriage. To be faithful in marriage. Now look at verses 21 and tw through 24. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. And God took from his rib and clothes of fl uh, flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to, to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And this one will be called woman for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and, and bonds with his wife and they will become one flesh. So not only is a man to be faithful to God, but he's also to be faithful in marriage. God created a woman and uh, God brought this woman to Adam and he was like overwhelmed, right? I mean, he saw her and she was obviously good looking because he said, whoa, man, right? And that's how we got the name. So anyway, it's a, I know it's a little dad jokish, but you know, just work with it, all right? Work with me. 
And so he's like, whoa, man, this is awesome. He's like, man, she's flesh of my flesh, man. She's like me. I mean, she's like us together. I mean, he's just so fired up, right? Because before that, it was like the cows and the horses, you know. It's not the same. This is my wife. And, and so he's celebrating. And notice how he just receives her with joy. Right? He's not, a little, he's not saying, hey, God, I, I don't know if I'm ready for that kind of responsibility. I just want to play Call of Duty in the basement. No. No, he steps up. He receives a wife. He takes her unto himself. Now, here's what I want you to notice here. I, I often will talk about this a little bit, at, like at weddings. But I think it's, it's interesting to note that he took a rib from Adam's side. Why did he take a rib? I, I, I think that it is because this rib is under his arm and close to his heart. Man, when you receive a wife, you're to keep her under your arm and close to your heart. What does that mean? Under your arm means to protect her. You're to wrap your arms around her. Not under your thumb, under your arm. To protect her and watch over her. In the movie, The American Sniper, Wayne Kyle, who lives not too far from here, is talking to his son. In fact, here's a picture of Wayne and his son, Chris, who was a decorated Navy SEAL. And Wayne said this to his sons, in powerful words, by the way, from a father to sons. He said, there are three types of people in the world, sheep, wolves, and sheepdogs. Some people prefer to believe that evil doesn't exist in the world, and if it ever darkened their doorstep, they wouldn't know how to protect themselves. Those are the sheep. Then you've got predators who use violence to prey on the weak. They're the wolves. And then there are those blessed with the gift of aggression and overpowering need to protect the flock. These are men who are a rare breed who live to confront the wolf. They are the sheepdogs. What God called Adam to be was a sheepdog for his flock. For his home, a protector, a defender, to watch over. Men, that's what you're called to be, to protect, to have her under your arm, that she knows she's protected, she's been cared for, she is being nurtured, that you're going to want, you're going to fight for her and, and, and stand between her and danger. That is your role. But not only to protect her, but also to love her. He, it was close, it was under his arm, the rib, but it was close to his heart. And you're to keep her close to your heart. And you go on to read this passage, what you find is he says, you know, that, that this is where a man takes a wife and the two become one. And he leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. And he's basically saying that the role of manhood is to eventually separate from your parents and to be independent. We got this whole failure to launch thing going on where I, I don't really know. I'm just got this protracted adolescence, right? Where I'm kind of pinning on mom and dad well on into my 20s and sometimes far beyond. That is, that is not a biblical concept. We're to raise up men and send them out, right? Somebody give me an amen on that one, right? 
And that's what, that's what God has called us to do. And so he said, you're to leave your father and mother, cleave to your wife, and the two will become one flesh. By the way, this is, this is not about subordination of women. This is not about domineer, domineering men. No, it is all about intimacy. It's all about love. It's about unity. I mean, how many times have you been to a wedding and you see the unity candle, right? And each one has the candle and they, and they put them together to create this new flame. That's the idea here, that God has called men to love their wife, to be devoted to her, to love her, to care for her, to nurture her, to understand her, to serve her. When you get into the New Testament, it's even more expressed. In Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. In other words, Jesus shows us what love looks like. It's a serving love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a selfless love. 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. You were to love her and understand her and uh, keep her close to your side. Hey, hey amen, part of being a man is faithful to God, but it's also being faithful in marriage. Faithful to protect and love and nurture and keep your wife close to you and protected and loved. And let me tell you what, I, I, I can see it in a woman's face if she feels loved. I can see it. I can tell in her demeanor if her husband is keeping her close and he's loving her well. You can see the radiance on her face. See, that's what it means to be a man close to your heart, under your arm. Let me give you a third one. We are to be faithful to God, faithful in marriage, faithful at work. Look back up to verse 25, uh, 15 again, chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. Notice here that work uh, is not a part of the fall. Work is not a, a result of sin. It's not like, hey, Adam was just kind of chilling in the garden, right? And uh, then sin came in and now he's got to work. No, no, no. Work happened long before the fall happened. Work is a part of what it means to be a man, to, to work hard, to be creative and innovative and to advance and build and develop. That's, that's a part of the ethos of how God has wired men. And that's why it's so devastating when a man isn't in a job at the time because we're just so wired, we're hardwired to work, we're hardwired uh, to serve, to advance. Even the word vocation uh, comes from the Latin word which means a calling. We're called to work. You know, I remember talking to a guy years ago, and he was a friend of mine, and he said, Craig, he's in the, he was in the healthcare space. And he said, uh, I want you to understand why I'm, in this, uh, why I'm in this career. He said, when I was in college, I got cancer. And I, I, I was really serious. And he said, I, I, I nearly died. And he said, all these doctors and nurses cared for me and cared for me. And he said, when I finally came out of that, he said, I felt a calling to be in that role. 
I knew what it was like to receive that kind of care, and I wanted to give that other. He said, this is not a job. It's a calling. And some of you understand that. Man, you're in what you do because you're called to it. You feel like God's led you to do this thing. And man, it just comes from inside of you, right? It's not just a paycheck. It's a calling. And that's in the essence of what this means, that God created man with a calling to work. Now, some of you are going, wait a minute, I, I just got a job, right, man? I don't, have, I don't have a calling, man. I just got to pay the bills. I don't feel called to do what I do. I just, I just got to have a job, and, and so I'm just going to work. Hey, yeah, but listen, even then you still have a calling. You have a calling to represent God in your workplace. You have a calling to please God with the decisions that you make. You have a calling uh, to serve those people around you as unto the Lord, so regardless of whether you feel called to your job, uh, you still have a calling at your job. In fact, Colossians 3, 23 says, whatever you do, do it from your heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive a reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Get that? You are serving. When you get in your car on Monday and you're going to the office, you're working for Jesus. You're serving him as unto the Lord. This is what it means. Now, by the way, just a, a, a simple warning here for men with regard to work, because work is so much of what we do. I think men oftentimes, because they, hey, working's not a problem, right? Man, I'm, I'm working 24-7 nonstop. Working's not a problem for me, man. All right, so here's two warnings for you. Number one, don't make it your idol. Don't idolize it. Don't make it about you and your success. Make it about God's glory. Make sure that you understand your job is a platform by which you can glorify God, not glorify yourself. Tim Keller, a pastor who just recently passed away, he said this, idols of power and approval can lead us to overwork or to be ruthless and unbalanced in our work practices. I think that's true. So don't idolize it. Also, don't compartmentalize it. Don't say, well, man, you know, when I go to work, it's, it's all business. And then I get to church and it's, hey, brother. Hey, sister. You know, praise Jesus. Woo. You know, and then I'm back at work. No, we don't, we don't compartmentalize. God goes to work with you. Hello. Right? He's in the office. He's in the boardroom. He's in the meeting. He's on the shop floor. He's out when you're calling on clients. He's there. So acknowledge that all of our life, including our work, is to glorify Jesus Christ. What a great opportunity that is, right? That we as men get to glorify God in our work. So we're to be faithful, faithful to God, faithful in marriage. Get this, faithful at work. And let me give you one more, one more. Faithful for generations. Faithful for generations. Turn back to Genesis 1.28. Flip over one chapter, 128. It says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, you've heard of the Great Commission, right? In the New Testament, go and make disciples of all nations. This is the first Great Commission. And that is, go have a lot of kids, right? Populate the earth, raise up a generation that will honor God in their times. This is really what it means here to be a man that you are raising up the next generation of people who follow God. That you are faithful at home to raise up the next generation to fear the Lord 
and to walk with him and to raise up the next fathers and the next sons and the next men who will lead and love their families. What a blessing it is to look over your shoulder and see generation after generation that loves the Lord. Amen? That's the role of a father. And by the way, you may say, well, man, I, 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 never, I never had uh, children, or God didn't give us children, or I didn't have sons, all right, so I can't, not passing on my name. Uh, that may be true, but you can have spiritual sons. You can invest in men that will raise up other godly men behind you. That's what God's calling for each one of us. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor and, and powerful influencer in the early 1700s, back before really the birth of our nation. He was the instigator uh, that God used to bring about the first great awakening. And Jonathan Edwards had a practice of praying over his sons and blessing them and calling out in them to be godly, faithful men. And he prayed that God would give him multiple generations that love the Lord. And if you look back in history, you can see the generations of Jonathan Edwards. Notice this. He had one U.S. vice president, one dean of law school, one dean of medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates. That's the lineage of Jonathan Edwards that still continues today. During the time of Jonathan Edwards, there was also a man named Max Jukes. Max Jukes was a professional criminal at the time. And so historians went back to look at what was, what was Max Jukes's uh, lineage what was his family line like? And what they found were seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, 310 paupers, 440 were physically weakened by addiction of alcohol. 1,200 descendants studied, 300 died prematurely. This is what some scholars call the five-generation rule, which simply means that how you raise your Children, not only impacts them, but five generations that follow them. Either five generations for good or for bad. Hey, listen, some of you, you're chain breakers. Some of you, you're like, you're like your, your lineage looks like Max's lineage, right? And yet yeah, you've come to Christ and God's doing something new in you. And so you're breaking these chains of addiction. You're breaking these chains of unfaithfulness. You're breaking these chains. And you're starting a new, a new branch of the family tree that is a righteous branch. And praise God for you. You're fighting battles your children will never have to fight. Your grandchildren will never have to fight because you're fighting them now. Praise God for you. Stand firm in it. But listen, you have to think, what kind of generations am I leaving behind me? Listen, God is calling you to be a faithful man. If you're men in the room here, God's calling you to be a faithful man. That's what it means to be a man. At the essence of, of manhood is faithfulness to the responsibility to guard what God has put under your uh, oversight. That's what it means to be a man. You're to be faithful to God. You're to be faithful in marriage. You're to be faithful at work. And you're to be faithful to raise up the next generation. That's what it means.
to be a man. And I pray that God will give us lots of men like that. I thank God that there are a lot of men in this church just like that, that I can see them and I know them and they are faithful men. Praise God for you. We love you. We honor you. We need you now more than ever before. Godly men in this generation will stand, plant their feet and be honoring to God, faithful to God, faithful in their family, faithful at their work, faithful to raise up the next generation. May God continue to make it so. Amen? But you may say, well, you know, I feel like I've failed. Craig, I mean, to be honest, man, I look at those categories and I think I've, I don't think I've done so good. You read, continue to read the story in Genesis, Adam fails. Adam isn't faithful to God. Adam is not faithful to his wife and sin comes to the world and all hell breaks loose, literally. What do I do then? That's why Jesus came. Jesus came, the faithful one. Did you know in Revelation 19, he's called faithful and true. Don't you love that? Faithful and true. Hebrews says he is a faithful son. Jesus said in John 8, I always do what pleases my father. When Adam was not faithful, when we are not faithful, Jesus, the faithful one, came to us and he died on a cross for us in our place for our sin. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. He's at the right hand of the father. He's coming again soon. And this Jesus, the faithful one, can take any man and make him a faithful man. He can change him. Remember how we started this talk? The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. Faithfulness is not just about you conjuring up grit to try harder to be better. It's about surrendering your life to Jesus Christ and let Him produce by His Spirit in you faithfulness that will continue from generation to generation to generation. When I go to my office in my home, I look at these hats and I remember these men that informed my understanding of manhood let me ask you something when it comes time for you to hang up your hat what will they say of you my prayer is that they will say this man was a faithful man. He was a faithful man. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you that even when we are faithless, you are faithful. I thank you, God, that even when we have sinned and we've lost our way, even when we have hurt others, and even when we feel regret and shame that Lord Jesus in you there is forgiveness in you there is life in you there is change and Lord there's not a man in this room not a woman in this room that you can't redeem that you can't fill with your spirit and make them new again and so Lord I pray that you would do it Lord wash away our sin, Lord, thank you for the cross. And Lord, I pray for any in this room that do not know you, Lord, have not given their lives to you, that today would be the day they would confess their sin before you, God, that they would turn from it 
and receive your forgiveness, your spirit, and you would make them faithful. Lord, thank you that you are faithful. And all our hope is in you. We pray this in your name.